a code red for humanity, curb emissions and dramatically reduce consumption or face a world that is fundamentally different. When Kermit the Frog sang, it's not easy being green. I want you to know that he was wrong. He was wrong. There is no planet B. There is no planet blah. Blah, 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 blah. It is unequivocal that human activities are responsible for climate change. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 3, The Sky's the Limit. I'm Ian Collins and welcome to the penultimate episode of 2021. Can you believe it's been another year of wading through the hot air and nonsense coming from world governments in order to try and find out what's really going on on the green agenda? The man with more determination to see this through than almost any other fully built human being is Dale Vince. Morning, Dale. Yeah, morning, Ian. How's things? It's good, and it has been. I mean, we've been doing this longer than a year, of course, but just in this section, you know, 12 months are probably the most, maybe the most important uh, since we've been recording this. Yeah, it feels like that, doesn't it? And then I, I often think that each subsequent year does feel a little bit like that, that we get more traction, more focus and more promise, you know, that's how it looks to me. Let's start with this story, which is um, unfortunate. Campaigners losing court action over lawfulness of UK climate policies. This is the environmental campaign group that challenged how lawful uh, the UK government's policies were. But uh, losing a high court battle, what do you make of this? It was interesting because they tried to claim uh, they were seeking permission for a judicial review, uh, claiming that uh, government weren't doing enough. Government policies were insufficient to hit the Paris Agreement of uh, one and a half degrees, which we've signed up to. It's legally binding on us. And that that was a breach of human rights law. Um, And the court threw that out. Uh, I'm not quite sure why. Um, But these guys have said they're undeterred. They're going to appeal, take it all the way to uh, the European Court of Human Rights if they have to. Mm. Uh, Though that probably takes too many years. But they're going to give it a go. And um, I think it's really interesting that, uh, you know, the court taking this decision that um, it's okay for us to sign up to one and a half degrees and then have policies that don't don't hit that or won't hit that. And that's not something that we can challenge through the courts. Which is incredible. I mean, when you put it like that, that sounds incredible, unless it's one of those kind of weird technicalities of law that an appeal will iron out. Yeah, maybe it will. It can happen, can't it? Maybe a higher court will say, no, don't be silly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because <laughs> they do that sometimes. Don't be an ass. That's what you want to hear judges say. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this has been happening in Europe, hasn't it? You know, I mean, there have been successful legal campaigns yes. in Holland and France, I think, against government policies that were deemed insufficient by the plaintiff, I should say, not the defendants. And, uh, and you know, they've, they've won. They've had success. Well, if you if a government sets a target and then the policies that surround that target can't possibly meet the target, then one would assume that's ripe for a challenge. You would think so, wouldn't you? That would be the natural order of yeah. things in my world. Uh, we'll keep our eye on that, so we'll we'll get more detail on that, I'm sure, throughout the course of next year. Um, here's a question. Uh, let's move to some football. Uh, Gareth on Twitter, can Forest Green squad cope with all of these games being rescheduled? This better not screw things up, says Gareth. An FGR fan, I'm guessing. Yeah, sounds like it. And, you know, we all hope the same thing, actually. It is a little bit of a, um, what would you call it, a bit of an interruption. Uh, in our in our schedule but i mean it's only a week or so it should be fine we will have missed three games hopefully by the time we come back and uh, you know we've got a we've got a strong squad strong mentality great coaching staff i don't see any reason why we won't come back and just carry on as we were 
I mean, in terms of scheduling, what are the ramifications of that? You know, if a, a fan says, well, I was meant to go to a match today and it's off, but I'd, behind the scenes, I'd imagine that's pretty tricky scenario for all sorts of reasons, staffing and goodness knows what else. Yeah, it creates some work at the club, really, in terms of, uh, you know, refunds or rebooking for a different date, you know, same game, different date, that kind of stuff. But we've got the added uncertainty also of when we do come back, it might be without fans, which would, uh, you know, be a different thing again. You know, we've been there before, obviously. Uh, I think we may we may go there again. It's a job to know. It's happening already in Wales uh, from Boxing Day. Uh, football games are without fans. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it tends to be that we follow what happens in Wales and Scotland. England does, you know, we're just a bit more reluctant to do the things that we're doing. Uh, let's look at this story. Uh, this is a rather grim story. If, uh, I, mean, I know you're not a big Christmas fan, Dale, and it, it's not your time of year, but... Did you hear that somewhere? Uh, yes, yeah, I think it's been mentioned. <laughs> uh, but this was rather grim. Santa's Lapland reindeer are starving to death and facing extinction because of climate change. Yeah, an incredible story. And the winters are just too warm for them. And so instead of snow covering the, the food that they like to eat, which they can scrape away with their hooves and their noses, it's ice and they can't get through. And then to compound that, the, the summers are too hot for them. They just physically can't cope with the temperature. I think it's four times hotter than it, than it uh, normally is or something yeah. like that. I mean, this is quite quite severe, actually. And yeah, it's got a topical twist with it being about reindeer and, and Christmas, but it's absolutely a climate crisis story happening right now indeed another one that we'll um i'm sure revisit throughout the course of uh, the, the the new year and the like um here's a question from Catherine, uh, who says dale your first sky diamonds sold out in minutes when will you have more is that right yeah it's true last thursday we opened the online shop uh, finally about a year after we launched the concept last november and uh, yeah we sold out in in a handful of hours wow and the next yeah, which we were pretty chuffed with because we had no idea kind of really how, how how the market would be, you know, if people would buy these things. I mean, I assumed they would because I think they're amazing uh, and people do buy diamonds anyway, so why not? But until you've done it, you just don't know. And so to have had that experience is really encouraging for us. We're currently in a place where we're just trying to get into regular production coming out of R&D and our next batch of stones will drop in late January on the okay. shop. Um, That's good. And we're launching a a jewellery joint venture as well, around about mid-January with a designer jeweller, um, which is something new. Oh, so perfect. we're just about to get gearing up. And um, I mean, can we, I go to should, H. Samuels and buy one of your diamonds? That's the question. <laughs> not, not yet. That's the dream. Uh, That's yeah. the dream, to be the intel inside of the diamond world, you know, the little <laughs> sticker on computers that tells yeah. you the chip that's in there. Fantastic. Yeah, we want jewellers to, to, you know, to see it that way, to say, look, all of this is made of sky diamonds. Because, you know, the benefit to the environment from this kind of thing is so big yeah. in terms of avoided pollution and emissions and digging and all kinds but of But how stuff. does that – I know we've been over this territory before, but for those who don't understand this – how, is the value of the di- you know the value of a diamond you know this the diamonds are a girl's best friend every cliche about diamonds etc is that based on the fact that i mean just just parking for one second the uh, just industrial scale environmental impact and damage of mining original diamonds but isn't it because of that that they cost what they do and therefore their exclusivity is reflected because they don't grow on trees. Whereas if you're growing them in a lab, as it were, does that somehow remove the the mystery and the rarity nature of the diamond? 
Actually, what's happened is that uh, De Beers made diamonds very popular uh, maybe 50 years ago uh, with a very clever, powerful marketing campaign. And I mean, diamonds before that weren't particularly worth anything, and they're not particularly worth anything. There's no shortage of diamonds under the ground, for example. Yeah. Uh, the supply of those is controlled quite tightly. But what De Beers have done is actually kept invisible from people the real impact of diamond mining. So they're not more valuable because they're so destructive to, to acquire, because that's hidden from view. So, for example, uh, we published an independent study of diamond mining uh, by Imperial College in London, and they found that for a one-carat stone, which is a fifth of a gram in weight, the industry digs 1,100 tons of rock and leaves 30 tons of toxic metals in the environment, uses 5,000 liters of water, and produces a half a ton of greenhouse gas. That's for one tiny That's stone. Incredible. Now, the beers don't share that. The beers will tell you that diamonds are forever. What they won't tell you is that the impact of diamond mining is forever. And the question of value, it's one of those markets that's, that's essentially uh, man-made. You know, people want diamonds, and so therefore yeah, yeah. people will pay for diamonds. They become valuable. Uh, but try selling one secondhand, and, and you'll really struggle. Um, so, yeah, there it is. Yeah. So, it is, so the Dale Vince diamond is as good as a De Beers diamond? It's actually better. Um, I mean, it's more perfect, um, and it's certainly better in terms of environment impact. And we're price matching, so it costs less on the environment and it costs the same for you to buy. Got it. Let's move to this story. Climate change news coverage has reached an all-time high, um, changing almost changing language as well in the United States. This is positive, right? Yeah, definitely. We've seen it over here as well, haven't we? With the, uh, I mean, the Guardian changed the, the rules of engagement, actually. And, you know, they don't talk about climate change now. They talk about the climate crisis or, yeah. or some version of words like that, you know, which makes it a little bit more clear that it's actually something quite serious, not something benign like global sure. warming. You know, it sounds a bit benign, doesn't it? You'll have heard people say, well, what's wrong with a bit of global warming? <laughs> you know, well, quite a lot, actually. But this is happening in the United States as well, which is which is great news. And, you know, I think we've seen it over here as well with the our campaign with the Daily Express this year um, was was incredible. Their environment journalist, John Ingham, actually won Environment Journalist of the Year nice. just recently, a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. And when we bench tested in the summer, we found that the Express were running nearly as many environment stories as the Guardian were. And, you know, this is a right-wing newspaper, but, sure. you know, they're running environment stories all of the time now, which I think is fantastic because people – this is, this is how people see the world, through the Got media. It. Yeah, of course. And if the media is, is is running a constant string of stories they need to be aware of, yeah, yeah. Uh, then, then, you, then you know there's a problem in the world, and then you then the pressure comes for the government to do something about it. And governments are the same. They read the media, and, yeah. and if they think the media are obsessed by this, that, or the other, then yeah. they'll, they'll do something about it. It's interesting, because I took a call from a guy the other day who was not really sold on the uh, a lot of the salient points of – the environmental arguments and the nuances and the, the the whole green agenda, really. But he did cite, and we've talked about Christopher Hitchens before, no longer, you know, of this planet, as it were. But, I mean, he made the point, and this guy made the point. He said, look, you know, you don't get two chances at this. So um, even though I'm sceptical, we, we might as well run with this just in case. And I thought, well, that's cool. That's all right, isn't it? Because at least he's willing to buy in to that possibility, which means the upshot is that, he will alter his behavior and things he does uh, as an almost an insurance policy. Yeah, no, I think it's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's something known as the precautionary principle, actually. Yeah. Um, but, but he's expressed it really rather well. And I'm, a, I'm reminded of my favorite cartoon of, of recent years is um, a little newspaper type cartoon. And there's a guy giving a presentation at the UN. And on the screen, there's a list of all these great things like clean air and water and, uh, you know, 
no climate change, whatever it is, uh, this whole list of benefits that we get by fighting the climate change. Yeah. And uh, somebody in the audience says, but, but what if climate change is a hoax? And, and it makes the fantastic point that we have all these enormous benefits by acting now to prevent and avoid uh, the climate crisis. Yeah. Um, and the only downside is clean air, you know, uh, all these kind of great benefits of a green economy, sustainable jobs, uh, all that kind of stuff. And uh, where's the downside? Here's a story. Sea snot, one of the <laughs> grossest effects of climate change. Tell us more. Yeah, sea snot is happening around Turkey right now. And um, it turns out that combination of, of pollution and climate have, have caused a, a bloom in phytoplankton, uh, which is really interesting stuff. In, in Greek, it means plant um, drifter or, or vagrant, you might think. And that, that kind of re- resonates for me. I'm a plant kind of uh, ex-vagrant. Uh, but this stuff has kind of bloomed and then died and formed a, a kind of um, the basis for a new form of life to grow. So it's been collecting debris in the sea, rubbish, human rubbish, uh, fish bodies, uh, for example. And then bacteria has come along and started to feed off all of this stuff. And it's kind of like its own little ecosystem. It's clogging up fishermen's nets, which I don't think is a bad thing, actually, because that means they get to leave the fish alone for a while. Uh, but it's clogging up ports and stuff. And uh, it's... It's an interesting kind of uh, impact from the climate crisis that's not about weather per se. It's not hot, it's not cold, it's not something burning, um, but it's the sea being clogged up with snot, which is not very nice, Yeah, but it's really real. It, yes, yeah, it's grim, but it's a reality. <laughs> uh, ben on Facebook, uh, final question. I know you're not a betting man, but do you think energy price cap will go above £2,000 in April? How the hell are we going to cope? I think there's a good chance. And I was just talking to Radio 4 about that before doing this. And, uh, you know, this week the government bunged £1 billion into the hospitality sector to compensate pubs and places for less custom due to to restrictions and stuff like that, you know, uh, to to support them so they don't go bust. In the energy world, the government are doing the opposite. They're forcing energy companies to sell power and gas at one-third the price they buy it for, Mm. forcing losses on them. They've they've forced 26 out of the market already, made them bankrupt. What the government needs to do is say, look, you know, energy prices are too high in the real world. At the moment, it's an unreal world in England, uh, or in Britain, rather, because we've got the price cap. In April, the price cap adjusts itself. Then we get the real world. Uh, And as Ben says, you know, we could have uh, north of £2,000 a year energy bills. Government needs to intervene in that and say, look, um, we'll take the hit. As a nation, we'll take the hit. We won't force energy companies to take the hit. We don't like the size of energy bills that are actually real. Got it. Um, and, you know, intervene, do something. Chuck a couple of billion pounds at it yeah, yeah. and level out energy bills for the next 12 months. Take all the anxiety away. You know, there is a cost of living crisis going on at the same time with inflation and uh, and you know all kinds of stuff in it. You know what I mean. But what the government have done in the energy market is just perverse. They're forcing energy companies bankrupt. They're pretending to keep the price of energy down. In April, the price of energy will adjust itself to this crazy winter wholesale market. And yeah, it's going to go through the roof. And it's not a good thing. No, not a good thing at all. That's it for this episode, Dale. We'll speak next week for our final one of the year. I think we're looking back next week, aren't we? At, uh, at the year of twenty twenty one. Yeah, I think we are. So that's a kind of classic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would be failing if we didn't do that, wouldn't we? It's just absolute classic. 
Uh, well, good we work. got away without mentioning Christmas, particularly, <laughs> did we? <laughs> yeah, that's true. This one, that's you true. know, yeah. two days out from the main event. Well, I felt I should explain what I don't like about Christmas, but maybe we can do it on the next one. Looking yeah, back indeed. At Christmas, when it's all over with. When it's all over with. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, yeah. don't forget, of course, to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there as well. And do follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash Vince and facebook.com slash dalevince. Zero carbon east off.